0: in our series on um, how does God change people like us into people like Jesus um, and I've got um, these for you if you need them plans of what we're going to be looking at so you can get ahead and uh, read the stuff um, and then um, plannings for the autumn but I'll give those to you later um, let's read we're going to read from um, verse 16 um, through to uh, the end of the chapter Page 867. Thanks, Marcus. Okay. Ezekiel 36, page 867. Um, and verses 16 to 38. Everybody there? We'll wait for you, Sam. It's fine. 36. Ezekiel 36, page 867. starting at verse 16. So um, Ezekiel um, is um, a prophet um, speaking to the people of Israel when they're in exile. Um, so they've um, been brought into the land by God that they lived in, but then God's taking them out of the land um, because, of, um, because they've rebelled against him. Um, and Ezekiel's speaking to them while they're in exile in Babylon. Um, so they're not in the land that God had promised them. Um here's what he says. Um, Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name, for it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they'd gone. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your fathers. You'll be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the corn and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you'll no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you'll remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you'll loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I'll resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The, desert land, the desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield to the plea of the house of Israel and do this for them. And will make their people as numerous as sheep as numerous as the flocks for offerings at jerusalem during her appointed feasts so will the ruined cities be filled with flocks of people then they will know that i am the lord let's pray and father as we look at this great prophecy um, this great promise uh, we ask that you would uh, uh, open our minds to understand um, and open our hearts uh, to grasp what you have to say to us about you, about your goodness, about your plans, um, and about ourselves, Lord. Uh, please uh, give us soft hearts as we look at your word, um, and do good to us through your word, please. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about change. Um, it's the title of the, um, of the series, How Does God Change Change? people like us into people like Jesus. Um, but our world is full of promises of change, isn't it, uh, today, people um, looking for change. So Alicia, if you wanna um, just press the next button. Um, self-help help books, just one example, aren't they? Um, just things which offer change um, in people's life. So, How to Change Your Life in Seven Steps uh, by John Bird. How to change your life in seven steps. Do the next one, Alicia. Um, Eckhart Tolle, a new earth, awakening your life's purpose. Sounds great, doesn't it? Next one. Um, seven Habits, a famous one. The seven habits of highly effective people. Powerful lessons in personal change. Why is it always seven? I don't know, is it one, one per week or something? You get it done in a week and, you, and you're finished. But there are just loads of them, aren't there? Just as you go on the internet... Um, If you go into bookshops, you go into Waterstones or whatever, just loads of books on self-help everywhere. Um, uh, Diet books, dieting books. Dieting books basically say to you, don't they? Um, Change your diet, change the the way you eat, and it's going to change your life. It will revolutionise your life. Um, And we're always changing our homes, aren't we? So we change our wall colours, and we change our houses, um, our gardens, our fridges, uh, Whatever. And we just got this sense that our lives need change, we need to be changing. Do you want to flick on to the next one, uh, Liz? We have a sense that our lives aren't what they should be as a society, don't we? And that we're not what we should be. But even more so if we're Christians, don't we? Because what does the Bible tell us about ourselves as Christians? What do we find out from the Bible about ourselves? It's not a rhetorical question, you've got to answer. If you don't they'll just be long silence. Are we yeah. sinful don't meet God's standards? Yep. Sinful don't meet God's standards. Yeah, that that we should always be changing, we should always be becoming more like Jesus. Yep, yeah. yeah, that we're meant to be like Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, we have to trust him, yeah. The, the message of the Bible is that we're great sinners loved by a great saviour, aren't we? That's what, that's what the Bible tells us, we're great sinners loved by a great saviour. Um, and so above all people, we as Christians, but Christians aren't people who think that they're sorted and think that they're doing it better than everyone else. Christians are people who recognise that they're in desperate need of a saviour and they're in desperate need of a redeemer, somebody to give them forgiveness, somebody to change them um, so that they're more like Jesus the way that they should be. Um, Because, just as we were saying before, we just very often come up against the fact we're not the people that we should be, don't we, in our our lives. So uh, our our anger, uh, moods, anxiety, uh, self-image problems, uh, being controlled by what other people think of us, um, relationship problems, laziness, comfort eating, retail therapy... All those things that we turn to, all those things which, well, I'm sure some of them will speak to each of us. We know that we're not the people that we should be, don't we? And that was absolutely the case for Israel, um, who God was speaking to here um, through Ezekiel. Uh, They knew they weren't the people um, that they should have been. What amazing things had gone done for Israel through, uh, through their history. To shout out some things that god had done for israel through their history made them yep he made them a nation yeah just out of one man uh, abraham and his he made, made his family into this nation yeah brought them out of slavery an amazing act of power brought them out of egypt part of the red sea for, part of the red sea for them yeah an incredible thing the, the, the Soldiers are after them, part of the Red Sea. After they went through the through the sea. Looks after them while I don't want to stop, Sam. But looks after them while they're in the desert. Like looks after them in the desert. Took care of them. Showed that he was a god worthy of being trusted. <laughs> yeah. So, the, so they'd already got the law. God had told them what it, how they should live. But he even sent prophets to keep reminding them, calling them back to him. Just very gracious, wasn't it? Yeah. Just go. Yeah. There's a great, great line in there in Joshua about I gave you vineyards you didn't plant and wells you didn't dig and copper that you hadn't dug. Um, just yeah. Just gave them plenty in the land without them. You know, they just walked in and the enemies just went and walls of Jericho. Yeah. And, okay, so the message is he'd done incredible things, hadn't he? He'd made them his people, um, he'd made a way for them to be forgiven, they were part of his, they were his people, his loved people, his treasured people, He lived in this glorious land, and um, he sent prophets to remind them of his word when they went astray, people to save them, judges to save them when they went wrong, just incredible grace that he lavished on them. Um, and how would he call them to live uh, while they were live uh, in that land? How would he call them to live as his people? Don't defile his name. Yep. Yep. So to honour him. Obey the law. To obey the law. Yep. Holy. To be holy as, as he was holy. But mommy, but mommy, but mommy. How did Jesus sum up the law when he, when he was asked? Can you remember? Anybody remember? What are the two great commandments? yeah so to love the lord your god with all of your heart, with all of your and all of your and all of your, yeah and the second to love your neighbor yeah he called them to be this a people who worshiped and loved him with all of their hearts and who loved one another deeply from the heart and that's what the whole law is about about loving god with all of your hearts He's god your savior and loving one another and the law tells you how you to love one another. And what was their purpose? What, what, why had he done that? Why had he called this one people and put them in this land and called them to, to live in this way? What was their purpose? What, were they, what did, did he done it for? What was the big purpose? To show how great he was. Yeah, to show how great he was. Yeah, and how would, they, how would that happen? How would they show how great he was? Yeah. People, kind of exactly. yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. As they the the idea was that as the nations looked on, as the world looked on, they would see this people who were just different from any other people. Remember we we looked saw that in Deuteronomy, that they would they would look on and say, What nation has a God who lives among them like this? What nation has laws so amazing as this nation? Um, that was the idea. God had saved this people so that he would show his glory to the whole earth. But just look at verses 16 to 21 in our passage that we're looking at. See what's happened to the people of Israel here. What's happened to them? We can look at verses 19, uh, 18, 19. Punish them, yeah. They've been punished by God. And how are they being punished? What's happened to them? Yeah. He's taken them uh, out of the land and scattered them. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Judgment, because of what they've done. What have they done? Yep, yeah. And how have they defiled it? Verse 17. yeah by their conduct by the way they'd lived yeah um yeah verse 18 what gives a bit more detail of what what that means worshiped idols and shed blood in the land I'm that means like killing yeah defined what does it mean huh what does that mean shed the blood there They'd shed blood in the land th- they'd they'd killed they'd killed each other i think so they were supposed to love him with all of their hearts, and they were supposed to love one another and what they've been doing, they've been worshipping idols instead of him, pretend gods, and they've been shedding blood instead of loving each other. They've been killing each other instead of, and that's the, the story throughout the, the whole of the history um, of Israel. You See again and again they've been unable to be the people that they were supposed to be. They've been able, unable to love God with all their heart, soul and mind and strength and they've been unable to love each other. They've they've turned again and again to bloodshed and to cruelty. So instead of showing the nations how good God was, what's happened? What does he say? Verse 20. They were there so that the nations would go, Wow, God's amazing. And, they profaned his name. and profaned his name. Yeah, what does that mean, profane? Ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. Made it like mud. Made my name look rubbish. They've made God look rubbish. They were supposed to make him look amazing, but they've made him look rubbish. These are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave this land. And so now they're in this dire state, aren't they? They've been kicked out of the land, they've been scattered through the nations, and yet they're still profaning God's name. They're still making God's name look like mud, wherever they go, making God look rubbish. Why? Why has this happened? When God had done all those things for them, he'd given them his great laws, he told them how they were to live, he'd been just so gracious to them. Why this kept on happening again and again? Yeah, they've got wayward hearts. They've got a heart problem. In fact, uh, God here describes it later on as a heart of stone in verse 26. I'll remove you from you your heart of stone. That's their problem. They've got hearts of stone. Hearts which don't respond to God. Hearts which don't love God. Hearts which love themselves and go after idols instead. You see, they're actually hopeless here, aren't they? They're just incapable of change. Again and again, God sent prophets, he sent people to save them, to remind them, and they're just incapable of change. And the thing is, don't we often feel like that? You See, self-help books might change things on the surface for a little while, but doesn't actually the fact that there are so many um, self-help books around, that the new one comes out every week, show that none of them actually does the job? None of them actually cut the mustard. We know that we're looking for deep-down change, and yet that isn't where we can find it. And even as Christians, we often just feel like change is impossible, don't we? Um, So uh, when you become a Christian, there are certain things that maybe in in your life change straight away. So maybe you you give up drinking so much, the kind of um, obvious big headline things. You stop drinking so much, maybe, and that was one for me. Um, You stop sleeping around, maybe. um, You you sort out your, your relationships and those kind of things. And to start with, things, that all changes quite a lot. But then after a certain amount of time, there there seem to be things in our lives which we notice don't seem to change, don't seem to be changing. See, often we feel like the people of Israel, don't we? We're unable to be the people that we know that we should be. And sometimes it seems as hopeless as it seemed for the people of Israel. Well, this passage has wonderful uh, hope in it uh, because God makes in this, in this passage two great promises um, and he gives us one great purpose, okay? Two promises, one purpose. And I wanna suggest if we grasp these two promises and if we grasp this great purpose, then it will actually change our lives. If we grasp hold of these, then it will actually bring about a revolution in our lives. Because here's the first uh, promise list. Do you wanna press? First great promise, free and full forgiveness. God promises this uh, rebellious, hard-hearted, sinful people, free and full forgiveness. Just look at verses uh, 24 and 25. Here's what he says. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I'll end your time of judgment, he's saying. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. Isn't that a great promise? So what what had their sin made them like to God? Just look at verse seventeen. What had their sin made them like to God? Like a woman's monthly uncleanness. Yeah. Unclean. The sin of their sin had made them unclean to God. But what does he promise to do here verse 25? Yeah, yeah, to make them clean. They're unclean to him. He's gonna make them clean, he's gonna rescue them, he's gonna bring them out of the land of judgment and he's gonna sprinkle clean water on them. He says he's gonna make them clean. In the Old Testament, what did it mean to be unclean? not necessarily it's not necessarily sinful actually sort of yeah cut off from god's yeah yeah there is some there's some evidence that some of the things were you know, had a practical, but that, that's not the main thing. That, that, the Bible never talks about it in terms of that because it's dangerous. It, it has more of an idea of what it means about you and God. I'm un- un- cleaning this because I always think of it as leprosy. Sort of like yeah. They've, they've been. Um, yeah. What's the worst? I can't think of the word. They've been uh, spoiled. They've been uh, okay. infected. Infected, yeah. And so they're unclean and they're separated. There. Separated, yeah. Okay, so that, that's a good. Separated, yeah. Separated from who? S- who's, uh, somebody say something. Did you say, Christine? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Separated from God <coughs> means they're unacceptable to God, um, and separated from His people as well. Um, so very often they would have to go out of the camp or separate themselves from God's people if they were unclean. It meant you were unacceptable to God. So if you touched something uh, unclean or you had a, a certain kind of disease or that kind of thing. You were unacceptable to God. Um, and then what happened was, at the end of the time of you being unclean, so you might have to be unclean for a week, you couldn't come into God's presence um, separate from his people, you had to be sprinkled with clean water, and this water would make you acceptable to God again. Okay, so you're unclean, unacceptable to God, you wash yourself with the water and you're acceptable to God again. Interesting thing is here is not that the people of Israel have touched something unclean or had uh, some sort of disease. What is it that's made them unclean in verse 17? Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's their conduct that's made them unclean. It's their conduct, the way they've lived, which has made them unacceptable to God. And so what does God promised to do here? In verse, uh, verse 25? Cleanse to cleanse them, yeah. They're unacceptable to him because of their conduct. He's gonna cleanse them and he's gonna make them clean. He's gonna make them acceptable to him. And who's gonna do it? Who's gonna make them acceptable? Have a look. 25? Yeah. It's emphatic, isn't it? I will do it. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you. I will do it, God says. It's just wonderful, isn't it? He's not saying to them, you've got to make yourselves clean. You've got to make yourselves acceptable. He says, I'm going to do it. Free and full forgiveness for his rebellious people. He's going to wash them so clean that it's just as if they've never sinned at all. And the New Testament tells us that gloriously, that's what he's done through Jesus. That, um, Ezekiel here is looking forward to what God's going to do through Jesus on the cross by dying for our sins, at bringing us total forgiveness with God. So in the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, the writer, he talks about Jesus' finished work on the cross as having our hearts, um, about trusting that work as having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The Bible says that it's through Jesus that we're made acceptable to God. It's through Jesus we're made clean, we're made right with God. What Ezekiel promises here, being washed, being clean, is true today through Jesus. But it's important we don't miss the significance of this, because this really is very uh, important. This really is very big stuff. Um, I want to introduce you to two long words today. Okay, the first is this, justification. Okay, can you say it? Justification. After me, one, two, three. Justification. One, two, three. <coughs> justification. Okay, Justification. Nobody know what it means? Yep, yep. It means being, being said to be right with God, to be said to be in a right relationship with God, okay? Um, so um, justification is something that happens just like that, okay? When you trust Jesus, you're declared righteous, you're justified, you're said to be, you're in a right relationship with God, you're accepted by him, you're friends with him, you're his child, you're justified, you're right with God. The other word is sanctification. Okay, can you say that? Sanctification. Sanctification. What does sanctification mean? What's that? Go on. No. Good. Good guess. Yep. It's to make it. To make it holy. Yep. So sanctification is a process. Justification happens like this. Sanctification is a process that goes on throughout our lives to make us more holy, to make us more like God. It's that process of transformation, of change in our lives. It's not something that happens like that. It's something that happens throughout our lives, an ongoing process. See the difference between them? Justification, we're right with God made right with God just through trusting Jesus. Sanctification happens throughout our lives as we're made more like Jesus. Now every other religion says that you get justification through sanctification. So it says if you want to be accepted by God, if you want God to say yeah you're right with me, you're okay with me, then you need to change. You need to be more holy, you need to Pursue sanctification. Before you can be right with God, before you can be in a right relationship with God, you have to make yourself better. You have to change. So if you follow God's laws, if you grow in spiritual disciplines, then God will accept you. So, what's that? I think, sadly, they do. And it's not, it's not right. <laughs> yep. So it says, the holier you are, the more right with God you are. The better person you are, the more God will accept you. You get justified by being sanctified. Does that make sense? Makes sense? But what does our text tell us here in verse 25? That God is the one who does the cleaning? Yep. God's the one who does the cleaning. He's the only one who can make us acceptable with him. See, what Ezekiel tells us here, what God tells us here through Ezekiel, is that you get right with God based on nothing at all except for God's mercy. It's God who does it right at the beginning, before he's changed them, before he's transformed them, he says, you're right with me, you're clean. I'm gonna sprinkle you with water and make you clean. I'm gonna make you acceptable to me. And that's what he's done through Jesus. So you get accepted by, Christianity says, you get accepted by God while you're still a sinner, while you're still horribly trapped in your sin. You're still somebody who rebels against God. God says to you, you're mine. I forgive you just through trusting Jesus. As Paul says in Romans, Christ died for our sin, for us, sorry, Christ died for us when we were still sinners. So we're not accepted by God by being good people. We're not accepted by God by changing. We're accepted by God simply through what Jesus did on the cross before we've done any changing at all. So I don't know, you may be feeling condemned by your sin today. You may be feeling dirty before God. Maybe you're feeling like you're not acceptable to him. Well, here's the great news. If you trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross, you could not be more accepted by him than you are now. If you trust in Christ and what he did on the cross, you could not be more forgiven than you are now. You could not be more loved. No matter how badly your battle with sin's going, no matter how much struggling you're doing, no matter what you've done, for those who are trusting Christ, when you look in God's face, you see only a smile. And that's just really important when we're talking about change, that we get that from the beginning. We don't change so that God will accept us. We couldn't be more accepted than we are already if we're trusting Christ. No, we want to change because we're accepted. Because that's the next thing that's promised, isn't it? Just look at verses 25 to 27. What's God's next promise here? He says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, you'll be clean. Then what does he promise to do? To give us a new heart. How would you you sum it up this bit? I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. How do you sum it up? What's the promise there? Make it possible. For for what? <laughs> for us to, to start the process. Yeah, being. for us to start being sanctified. Yeah. Uh, to make it possible for us to start the process of being sanctified, so give us a new heart, put a spirit in us. Total, I've, you can press the next one, list. total transformation, that's what I've called it, because it is, isn't it? Um, what are the things that he promises to do here? Just shout them out. Three, I've got three big things here, verses is 25, 26, 27. What are the three things? 25. Yeah, cleanse you from all your impurities and all of your idols. He's going to, all of those things that we worship which aren't him, he's going to burn them away, our impurities. He's going to get rid of our idols going to bring us to worship him alone uh, verse 26 give you a new heart, a new heart. yeah what does he he says uh, uh, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh he's going to give us a heart that actually loves him that actually wants him that is responsive to him the heart of stone that Israel had that, that we have without Christ he's going to get rid of that and give us Heart of flesh uh, that's responsive to him. What about verse 27? Yeah. He's put his spirit in us. And what's his spirit going to do? What's God the Spirit going to do? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What, what I love the words here. I love it. Um, uh, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He himself is going to move our hearts to obey him. It's just great. Just awesome promises, aren't they? Here's a people who have had God's laws and have been completely incapable of obeying them. They've kept on turning to idols, you know, like a, like a crown green bowl, it, you know, uh, w- you know it, it goes off to one side. Have you seen them you know, in the bowling? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Bowling, you, like, you, you bolt down and, and it always curves one way. But well, these people's hearts, Israel's hearts, have always turned towards idols, every time. And yet God says, I'm gonna give you a new heart, a heart that loves me. He's promising that he's gonna do everything so that they'll obey him. Obvious questions, who is gonna get rid of their impurities and their idols? Easy question, who's gonna do it? God is, yeah, are they gonna do it? No, God's gonna do it. Who's gonna give them a new heart? Who? God. They're not going to do it. God's going to do it. He's going to give them a new heart. Who's going to put his spirit in them? God is. They're not going to do anything. God is going to do it all. God is person. He's asked them to be this kind of people and now he's promised that he himself is going to make them into this people himself. He's going to make them into people who do love him with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength and who do love one another deeply from the hearts. And the great news again for us today is that we're living in a day when God has done it. Here he said, I will do it. Now he's done it. Because Ezekiel could only look forward to that day when he'd do it. But now every single person who trusts in Jesus has a new heart. God's got rid of their heart of stone and he's given them a heart of flesh. Every single person who trusts Jesus has has been given a heart that is capable of worshipping God, of living for him and for his glory. In fact, every single person who trusts Jesus has a heart that has been hardwired to love him. He's put his spirit in us. That's just that throughout the New Testament we're told that again and again, aren't we? Those who follow Christ have his spirit, God himself living in them to change them, to move them, to keep their hearts loving and cherishing Christ, to show up sin and to put it to death, to take them back to their saviour again and again. Christians are people who have God's spirit living in them to change them. And God himself is cleansing us from our idols. He's changing our hearts in all things he's working to make us more like his son, Jesus. In all things he's working so that more and more we worship him alone, more and more we live for him more and more our hearts beat for him and his glory, not ours. You see, you may be struggling with sin this afternoon, and you, you, you may be struggling. As we've talked, you may say, yeah, do you know what? Actually, there are things there that I just, I've been struggling with for years, and I've never seen any change. The stuff that's just getting you down, and you think you come to question, am I a Christian even? You may be struggling with all signs of that. You might be feeling defeated, you might be feeling crushed. You might start to think that change just isn't possible. You hit a brick wall. You feel trapped like a slave. But here's what you've not reckoned with. If you're a Christian, God himself lives in you by his Spirit. If you're a Christian, God himself has given you a new heart to love and worship him. And God himself has vowed, has promised to change and transform you throughout your life and burn away your impurities, uproot all the idols in your life, so that you desire and long for and love and worship him alone. See, for those who are in Christ, change is always possible. It's always possible. In fact, change is promised. So get this, there is no sin that is too entrenched that God cannot overcome it. There is no idol too deeply rooted in your heart that God can't oust it. There's no habit too long formed that God can't overturn it. Isn't that wonderful news for us? For Gary with his anger, for Richard with his anxiety, for Kath with her fear of her friends. It's great news for us, isn't it? And that's what we're going to be seeing over the next few weeks, just how God does that, how he uproots the idols in our lives, how he changes us, how he transforms us. But the question just to consider as we close is this, why does God do it? We've seen those promises, full and free forgiveness, total transformation, But why does God do it? Why does God promise to change his people? What's his aim in doing it, in forgiving and transforming his people? Because we might say, well, it's to do us good. It's to make our lives better. Might say it's to make us happy because he loves us or or to bring us to our full potential like the self-help books. But God tells us something even more amazing. God's purpose in changing and transforming us is nothing less than his own glory and reputation. His purpose in changing and transforming us is his own glory. You can flick on. Because that's what he says in verses 22 and 23, isn't it? Just have a look. Okay. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm gonna do these things. But for the sake of my holy name, which you've profaned among the ma- nations where you've gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you've profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. See, why is God going to do all these things for his people? What does, what does Ezekiel say? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. What what, what words does Ezekiel use? Why why is God going to do all these things for His people? What's His big aim? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He wants people to see just how great and amazing He is. He's doing it for His glory. So he says, I'm not doing it for you. It's not for your sake that I'm doing it. Don't think it's for you I'm doing it. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for me and my glory. That's quite a shocking thing to say, isn't it? In some ways, he says, I'm not gonna forgive you and transform you because you deserve it. I'm not gonna do it you th- so people think you're great. I'm not actually even doing it to make your lives better, primarily. I'm gonna do it so that everybody sees how amazing I am. So that everybody will look on and say, wow, what a God that he could make people like that out of people like that. See, that's what God is actually all about. Did you know that? I don't know if you did know that. God is all about his own glory. Did you realise that? Above everything else, God is committed to his own glory. So, to to showing the the universe how good and gracious and powerful and loving and holy and majestic and amazing He is. To having the whole universe bow down before Him. That is what God is all about. Now, does that seem like a good thing to you? What does that seem like? It seems selfish. Yeah. God is all about Himself and His glory. Yeah. That's right, Sam. But it is selfish, isn't it, at the same time? You're, you're right, you're absolutely right, Sam, but it is selfish, isn't it? Other idols. That's right. Because actually, God being committed to his own glory is the most loving thing that he could do. Because when I want glory for myself, and I'm being selfish, thinking about me, wanting people to worship me, I'm asking people to worship me. But the problem is that, that unless you missed it, I'm not God. Okay, that is idolatry. I'm asking people to worship me and I'm not God. And actually, it's not good for people to worship me, is it? Imagine if you lot worshipped me. Okay, I'm not a very good God to worship. I'm going to let you down. I can't change your hearts. I can't give you deliverance. I can't give you eternity. I can't give you anything, actually. To want you to worship me is profoundly wrong because it's idolatry. I'm not God and it's not good. But the thing about God is that actually he is worthy of our worship. He actually is the best thing in the universe. God is the only thing in the, worship, in, in the universe that is actually worthy of our worship. And he's the only thing in the worship in, in the universe that is actually good to worship. He's the only thing that always delivers, that always gives us what we need, that never disappoints us. And that's why God's so committed to showing his glory to the universe, because it would be unloving to let anything else take his place, wouldn't it? To allow us, as you say, Christine, to worship other things than him. So just imagine, right, that I've got in, in our living room, it, it was the case today, actually, I've got the best feast ever. OK, I've got steaks. I've got salmon, beautiful, succulent salmon. I've got um, roast Pork, beautifully tenderly done. Uh, I've got um, I've got champagne. I've got the finest wines, the greatest beers, the most succulent fruit juices. I've got um, desserts like uh, uh, pavlovas that have taken weeks to prepare. Um, I've got um, profiteroles. I've got brownies. I've got all sorts. Um, and the smell is just amazing. This feast is just I've got I've got food for a hundred people there. It is mostly I've even got mint chocolate chip ice cream, Marcus. And then imagine that I, I see my neighbour, Marek, my, my friend who I'm getting to know, and, and, and he says um, that he's walking along with his family outside, and, there, and he says, we're just off to Morrison's Cafe. Um, now, would I be loving if I said to Maric, that's you just go up? yep, okay, see you later. Would I be loving if I failed to show him this feast that I had? That'd be just profoundly unloving, wouldn't it? What would be loving would be to invite him in, wouldn't it? And to say, come and see this feast. Don't go to Morrison's for your three pounds for your, you know, know, fried egg and chips. I've got the best feast in the world. Come here and see this feast. Come and enjoy this feast. You see, when you've got the best thing ever, the only loving thing to do is to broadcast it, to get everybody to come and taste it and see it and experience it. And that is the reason that God is committed to his glory, because God is the best thing in the universe. And so it would be unloving, wouldn't it, for him to let anything else take his place, to allow people to worship anything other than him. See, that's why God wants everyone and everything to see him for the God that he is, for the loving, gracious, redeeming, transforming, holy God that he is. But here's the amazing thing here. How has God decided to make his glory shine in his world? How is he going to do it? What's he said in this passage? Verse 23. How is he going to show the world how amazing he is? Through us. And through doing what? Through doing what to us? Through crushing us? and trampling us down, and showing us how big and clever and strong he is. He's going to show himself as holy through his people. Through his people, yeah. And we've seen, Ezekiel goes on to show that he's going to do that by transforming them, by doing good to them. See, God's decided that he's going to show his glory to the world by what he does with his people. So I don't know if Fabio Capello Uh, The the media are now saying that the only way that Fabio is going to be judged, the only way he's going to um, uphold his reputation is by what he does with the England team. Fabio is going to be judged by the success of the England team over the next two years and in the Euro, whatever it is, the European, what's called? the European Championships, yeah. It doesn't matter what he's done in the past, Fabio's reputation is tied to the England team, it's bound up with the England team. And that's what God is saying here about his people. God's reputation is bound up with how he transforms us. God has tied his glory in the universe to doing good to his people and transforming us to worship him. God has decided that he is going to get glory by transforming us. And that's great news just for two reasons very quickly as we finish. First, it gives us massive confidence about change, doesn't it, in our lives? See, for those of us who are struggling with sin, and actually that is every single one of us in this room today, that should give us massive confidence about change. Because not only has God promised that he's gonna change us, he's gonna give us his spirit, he's um, he's changed our hearts so that we've got new hearts to worship him, he's gonna get rid of all of the idols. Not only have we got all of that, But God has tied his glory to changing us. God is absolutely committed to his glory. God gets glory by transforming his people. And so that means that he is absolutely and totally committed to changing and transforming his people. If we're in Christ, then change is always possible because we've got all the resources of the God of the universe on our side. And God staked his reputation on transforming us God is jealous for his glory whatever sin whatever struggle we have God is jealous God is committed to dealing with it in our lives because that's how he gets glory But second and to finish with it's a massive motivation to pursue change for us isn't it because it means that change in our lives isn't just about us. We can think that, can't we? That you think, well, Meecha, um, I, I want to change because I want a better life. I want to change because I want things to be easier. I want to change because I'm struggling with this thing and it'd be, life would be better if I, if I can do that. But this tells us, this text tells us that us being transformed, us being changed, isn't just about making us better people or help us reach our potential or making our lives better. God's work of change, of sanctification in our lives, is all about God's glory. Because you might be listening to this, and you might think, well actually, do you know I'm not actually that bothered about changing. Quite my life's kind of fine as it is. Why bother? I'm, I know I'm saved, I know I'm forgiven, I'm heading for glory. Why take any of this too seriously? Well, for this reason, because your change, the transformation in your life, is not primarily about you. It's about God and His glory. See, if you're a Christian, you've been bought from living a life that's all about you and your glory to living a life that is all about God and his glory. And so if you want God's glory, and that's what it means to be a Christian, to be somebody who's living for God's glory and not their own, then you'll want to see transformation in your life. See, do you want your neighbours to see how great God is? Do you want God to be glorified in the lives of your neighbours? Yeah? Yeah? Do you want God to be glorified in the lives of your friends? Do you want, him to be, do you want them to see how amazing he is? Your colleagues, the, the nations, the, the, our country. Well, God said that he's going to get glory. He's going to be seen to be the great God that he is by transforming his people. See, if you're not pursuing change in your life if you're not longing for God to change and transform you if you're not excited about this series of seeing how God changes you then there's something wrong about where your heart is you see I want to encourage us I want to exhort every single one of us let's get excited about change let's get excited about being made more like Jesus as we go through this series let's be Asking God to do a great work among us. Let's be coming along with our pens and paper, ready to learn, ready to think. Let's have questions. Let's be working hard at it. Because it's all about God's glory. If God is going to be seen to be the great God that he is in Boroughbridge, in Ripon, in the villages, then the only way that it's going to happen is by him transforming us into people who love and delight in and worship him alone. So let's be excited, let's be confident, but not in ourselves, in him. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, that, um, well, we thank you. We thank you that you are such a great God. We thank you that you are committed to your glory. We thank you that you're so loving uh, that you have decided to get glory by changing and transforming your people. And so we pray that you would do that, Lord. And we pray that these uh, eight weeks, as we look at your word and see what you have to say to us, um, see what it means to be people who are changed uh, into people who delight in and love you alone. Um, Lord, we pray that you would do a great work among us as as we go through this time. Uh, Please may this be a a special time uh, in our fellowship, in our community. Um, We ask that um, you would... um, Capture our hearts afresh with you and with your glory. Lord, please do a great work among us um, and bring honour and glory to yourself. For those of us who are struggling, uh, give us hope in your gospel. Uh, For those of us who are apathetic, please wake us up and give us hearts that desire you and your glory alone. And we thank you for the great confidence we can have because you have put your spirit in us. Uh, because uh, you've given us new hearts uh, because you long uh, to cleanse us from all our impurities and all our idols, uh, so that we worship you and obey you and bring you on our own glory. You long to make us more like your son Jesus. And we thank you for that. Please do it for your glory. Amen. Okay. Let's go eat.